Hey, have you heard about popcultureclassroom.org? Pop Culture Classroom inspires a love of learning, increases literacy, celebrates diversity, and builds community through the tools of popular culture and the power of self-expression. That sounds awesome. Pop Culture Classroom envisions individuals transformed by the educational power of pop culture who create diverse, inclusive, and engaged communities, and they bring us Denver Pop Culture Comic Con. So... That's why you get these panels, these guests, these interviews, all of this programming that we offer through the BAC Network. Other things that Pop Culture Classroom gives a shit about, quality service to kids and communities, respect, inclusiveness, and diversity, equality of opportunity, alternative approaches to education, recognizing each person's intrinsic dignity and importance, that's always good, and open communication, responsibility, and honesty. Does it sound like I'm reading that off their website? It's because I am. I want to get it right, because they deserve to get it right, and they deserve to have you go to their webpage, popcultureclassroom.org, and donate so they can keep on trucking with their awesome mission to change the world through pop culture and literacy and education and etc. Thanks for telling me that. I appreciate that. That's like your parent coming up going, I love your brother a lot more. <laughs> happened to me. Uh, <laughs> happened. But like your Lex Luthor is such a different take. Like it's such a different take on Lex Luthor than Gene Hackman. And that's sort of the beauty of the Marvel, I mean, Marvel and DC Comics characters is that all these different takes can work simultaneously. Is it rude that I had gum in my mouth? No, not at all. Who honestly was thinking, dude, that's so rude. Get the gum out of your mouth. You yeah, thought it, didn't you? It's seven people. You were thinking about it. I know it. There's got to be someone out there. It's a good litmus test of the audience. Uh, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Uh, the reason Lex Luthor worked for me, and was, I won't say easy, it was the hardest thing I'd ever done. Physically and mentally, I like, it was so hard. It was, it was just really taxing. You know, you're getting there, shaking your head at, you know, four in the morning, and then six o'clock, the whole crew gets there, and then you're doing these emotional scenes, and, you know, and I really went to places I'd never gone before, and I thought of situations in my life, and it brought me there. I felt like that was really as much acting as I had done, and that was my real test, and I thought, you gotta, you have to come from a genuine place when you're playing a character. You have to come from, like, a real, a real place where people aren't gonna buy it, because the fans are smarter than you are. And they will let you know, thank God for the lack of social media. There wasn't any social media when Smallville was around. It just missed it. But I feel like if it was around and I was seeing things like, this Lex sucks, he's playing it too seriously, or he's playing it too whatever, I think, I don't know. In my feeble mind, always trying to please everybody, would I try to change things? Would I try to, and I'm glad that it wasn't around because I just said, you know what, play it real. Don't watch Superman movies, don't watch you know, just do, just be honest, be sincere, go through what the character's going through, and hopefully they'll like you. And I thought, ah, oh, he's not evil enough yet, but that's because he's not evil yet. He's trying to be a good guy. So, for me, it was just trusting my instincts, and I thought I was going to be fired, because I've always been a comedian. I thought they were going to fire me. I thought after the pilot, in fact, I remember shaving my head, and in the back of my head, feel this right here. Oh, yeah. Ah! No. It's just a hole. No. It's not a hole. 
It's a bump. It's a bump, yeah. It's called an occipital ridge or a bump. Occipital bump. So I just thought, uh, oh my god, I shaved. I was like, I got this big lump. They're going to shoot over me. Yeah. Oh god. Mine's freakish. Yeah. It's a well, well, I thought they were going to, you know, like, oh, he's not handsome enough. I mean, honestly, I always was going against guys that were way better looking than me. In fact, up for that role, I just interviewed on my podcast. If you're not listening to it, thank you for supporting it because we, we're like a little engine that can and people are real, really digging it. In fact, Sean Gunn and uh, Zach Levi were backstage and they were like, dude, your podcast is the best podcast. And I, it made me feel so good. And Zach's been on it. He talks about mental health issues that he's had, and things that I've had. And it's just really open and candid conversation. So I think you guys will really like it. I interviewed Tom Wally. I'm going to interview him again because we're having a Smallville week coming up. So it's, it's called Inside of You. It's free on iTunes. But what the hell was I saying? You were talking about playing a villain. So like, but to your point, like the villain doesn't think they're the villain. They think they're the good guy. They're, they're motivated. Yeah, he was, he was, you know, uh, trying to do the right thing. And unfortunately, he had like his father shadow in his way that he was just never good enough. He was always trying to get his father's approval. His mother that really loved him died at a young age. You know, it was really how, I mean, suicide or whatever. His brother died. He had nobody. He lived in a cold castle. His father was never around. I mean, how does he not become evil? So if anything, it's like this story of a, of a, a kid who's fighting with all he can. He just needs one person in his life, to be honest with him. Somebody to love him unconditionally. Someone to trust him. And that wasn't Clark. Yeah. <laughs> Just tell me your stuff, man. I mean, if you would have said something in season one, two, maybe three, I'd have been like, cool, man. That's cool. Let's go do some stuff. Let's go bowling. Let's, let's go bowling. Let's go, yeah. Let's, uh, but then in season, you know, when it started getting later, it was a little too late. But it's interesting that, like, as I'm also a comedian and a big horror fan, but mechanically, yes. If you're just listening, that's a microphone. Sorry. It sounds like pants. If you just got here, that's a new, it's an old joke. <laughs> yeah. It's an old joke. Um, but it, mechanically, they work the same. It's the same sort of setup, payoff, structure-wise. So yeah. I find that, weirdly, a lot of people who do comedy actually adapt to being able to do drama or like heavy things well. I hear that a lot, and you know, because I was doing comedy my whole life, and I never did anything serious, and I auditioned for this movie called Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil with Clint Eastwood, 98. Kevin Spacey, and John Spacey. Right, and I remember auditioning, and my agent because you got this audition, and I don't read scripts. I mean, I do, <laughs> but I don't like to read them when I don't have a part. It's like two and a half hours of your time. I'm Just what am I going to read? What's the character? I'll figure it out. Because you're going to find out what happens anyway when you're acting. That's what Christopher Walken said. <laughs> I mean, I read scripts. Now you're looking like this lazy SOB. <laughs> Never read a single script I've been in. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I, for me, I'll go back to playing this villain was, was sort of easy because I had great writers around me. I wanted to finish that really great writers around me and uh, Alan Miles who are going to be here on Sunday tomorrow to talk with me the two creators it's the first time they're going to be here but they were they love this show and it's such a great story that with the great cinematography and all these components that I was just lucky to do my job well enough to make you know all of us did our job well enough to make the show great because you've seen these shows where wow how is that actor in this terrible movie or this movie's terrible but that actor is pretty good but it was something to come together like Smallville did with the writing and the, the scope, you know, the way it looked and the, the makeup and the sound and the music. 
It was really special. It was really special. You know, when something's great in Hollywood, it's sort of despite everything. Like, it, it yeah. keeps getting knocked down at every possible angle, and if it can manage to get through there, it's, it's kind of a miracle. Yeah, comedians, you know, they do, I've heard that a lot of times about, like, they are, it's easy for them to, you know, move on to, like, drama. Like, Jim Carrey did a lot of, you know, drama. Robin Williams or John Candy Robin did Williams. some heartbreaking I think, stuff. I think comedy's harder. It really is. I didn't know that until... I mean, I've been on a lot of shows with comedy, but The Midnight in the Garden, Good and Evil Story, by the way. Oh, yes. I skipped over that, right? You're like, what happened to that boring story? I want to hear that. <laughs> but I went in, I was like, what am I auditioning? Midnight in the Dark Garden? What? What is this thing? So I went in, and it was a casting director, and I read, and I put a little southern accent on it, and I was like, you know, I was like, I, you know, I've just been doing my best, and I was just talking to the jury, and I was doing this whole character. And then the next day I got this call back and they go, hey, they want to see you again. I'm like, oh, cool, for that midnight in the water or whatever it was. I'm like, yeah. And I went in the casting director and she goes, okay, so Clint would love you to just do one a little more subtle and take your time with it. I go, excuse me, who? Uh, Clint? Clint Eastwood? The director. The director? Yeah, he puts everything, he casts actors from tape. He doesn't audition them, he looks at the tape. So I was crapping myself. <laughs> so I did this thing and I got, you know, I got this part, but um, for me, it was easier to do drama because it was just subtle. It was, and comedy takes so much energy, take after take to, hey, the time has to be perfect. And even though I love comedy, when I did this show called Impastor the last couple of years, thank you, thank you. That's why it didn't succeed. There's only 10 of you, 12. It's the same as the gum people, weirdly. The same people that thought you were rude for the gum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One person right there with the gum. But um, it was like, I got it. I did a take and they were like, another one, another one, another one. Do it this way. Oh my God, do it physically. And I was like, oh my God, this is so much more work than I felt like drama. Like, to me, drama was easier. It was easier. You didn't have to do much. You're just, it's not the physicality so much as it's just like talking to someone and listening and doing this thing. I am the villain of the story. And you don't have to go, you know, be funny and goofy and, uh, so, I don't know. I, I the more I think about it, I, I definitely, one of my friends, Troy Rudolph, he's, uh, he's been an extra in every sci-fi show in Vancouver, and he was my, uh, he was my assistant in Vancouver, and we became really close friends and moved out to L.A., and he's like, listen, man, I don't want you to get offended by this. I think you're really funny. I think you do comedy really well. I love your stuff. I'm like, okay, here comes a backhanded. He goes... But don't forget about the drama, because I really think you're good at drama. Don't forget that. I know you always want to be a comedian. Always want, you're always funny. You're good with people. But don't forget that. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> so I remember going, you know, I want to I I do more of that. So now I'm starting to think, as much as I love comedy, I'm going after things that I could be a little more intense, because... I don't know, I, it's easier for me to connect in a lot of ways to playing dark characters or... Uh, I love it, I just, I, I definitely, I love both. I love acting in general, but I'm, I'm definitely, uh, yeah, there's a few things in the works. It's interesting when you surprise yourself at what your ability is when you don't think that's necessarily... I constantly surprise myself. Which is good. Uh, but I mean, like, comedy has to be so precise. And if it fails, there's no other element to it you can enjoy. Right? Yeah. Like, if drama's bad, you can enjoy it on a camp level. If horror's bad, you can enjoy it, you know, as a comedy. Like, yeah. comedy... No, 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 no. no. Horror, horror can really suck. Have you guys oh, watched... There's a lot of crappy horror movies yes. out there. Oh, my God. Well, I won't think they make a good horror movie. There hasn't been a good one in quite a 
mean, Hereditary was kind of fun. They're too, I found them to be too, like they took the wrong lessons from Cronenberg and were like, just make movies where things look like they hurt and everything bad happens to everyone. I like to be, I like someone to scare the crap out of me. Yeah. I like to, like a ride at Disney World or like a roller coaster where you're like, the adrenaline, I don't want to be scared where it's like, it's a moment you're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, don't go in there, but it keeps going. And there's been a few movies that can give that like five to eight minute, not just a sound that scares you, yeah. jump, but something that continually scares you. And you're like, it's just this, that, to me, I love that. What, so what's your favorite movie that hits that? <laughs> you know, there's some indie movies that hit that. Like, I feel like, uh, Insidious for the most part, for the first two acts anyway, it was really brilliant. I thought, uh, I'm not picking it's called Snot. <laughs> um, it Follows, I thought was really original and cool and directorially, I mean, uh, what else? I mean, The Exorcist, The Shining, yeah, the, the classic. classic. You know, The Omen is really scary. The first 10 minutes, the last 10 minutes of When a Stranger Calls. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. But I'm, I've been writing a lot of horror and I'm just like, I, I want to write something really scary. I want to scare the crap out of people. Have you ever seen Death Dream or Messiah of Evil? Recommend it. We'll talk later. Yeah, I don't know those. How do I not know those? They're 70s. They're, um, well, I won't bore the whole audience with this. All right, fine. Because uh, I could talk horror all day and no one wants to hear me do that. They're here to see you. No, let me know about that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's take some audience questions. Yeah, let's do it. Yes. You in the hat. Yes. Do you like hockey players? Ah, uh, well, I've only had two hockey players, uh, two great ones, but um, mostly it's actors and some directors like James Gunn and um, who do we have? Michael Rooker and Dave Bautista, Zach Levi, Kristen Bell. Uh, you know, I just try to find people who I think are interesting and I want to know something about them. And it's never about like, most shows do, you know, what they're doing now. Yeah, plug fest. I don't really give a shit. I want to know how they became successful. I want to know, did the, the, uh, the, they have any anxiety in life? Did they have anything that hindered them from being great? Did they suffer from depression? Did they lose a parent? Did they lose a, whatever. I want to talk to them about things that, so people could see that they're not superhumans. They're not like everyone's, everyone thinks that all actors are happy. I think actually that's not true. You probably look at the opposite. I mean, how many are like, oh, so-and-so just went to a rehab center. It's like, it's, yeah, you're, because you're constantly around like, I need love. I need this bearded guy to smile for one effing second. I need to know who loves me. I want to see him in my autograph line. You know what I mean? So there's that constant validation, and if you don't get that as a child, if you don't tell your little boy, right there, I couldn't say because you were covered. If you don't tell your little boy every day that, you know, not every day, like, because then he's not gonna think it's true, but like, you know, hey, I love you. I want you to know I love you no matter what. And I want you to know that I'm proud of you. And so, you know, those moments of just like little things that help, you. Now, I feel like I'm talking like Lex Luthor. But it's like, <laughs> about Lex Luthor. But it, honestly, if you just say the smallest things to a child, in their developmental stages, that you just hold them and I love you and I don't care what you do, you can pump gas, which I did, you can work wherever, I don't care what you do, I love you, you're my kid. That goes, that echoes forever and that changes who they are and so a lot of actors do acting or directing or whatever because they can have attention and they need that. They need that superficial uh, acceptance and that like, 
And that guy's yawning. <laughs> How dare you? This is profound, sir. Were they like, they broke in a certain way when they were a kid and like a lot of actors who are, you know, more observational or ruminate or more yeah. sensitive, that's why they go into that art, which to, to the first thing you said, it's, it's so weird that the people who are overly sensitive, so they do this, are the people who end up being at the front of the battle line to take every punch in the face from people online or take all the hits for yeah. things. And, and they read them. Yeah. Those people that yeah. say they don't read stuff, they read them. We read them. Yeah. You know, those people. And I never understood that because, look, I've done it myself. Like, Jeff Goldblum, who I lo actually love, but he does this commercial. And I just, just annoyed the shit out of me. So I tweeted, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> That's why he was mad. Jeff Goldblum just annoys the crap out of me in that commercial. And then my friend Dax texts me and goes, that was really productive. <laughs> and I deleted it. I go, you're right, I'm an idiot. I just like, you, know, you have a bad day, or you have this and something annoys you, and you don't need to say, hey, you suck. You know, people were telling me like, you're the best Lex Jesse Eisenberg sucked. And I'm like, it's not a competition, man. Well, no, it's like, hey, I understand. You, you can tell me, but you don't, don't go online and telling him. I was like, Jesse, you suck. He did the best he could. He did his job. Some people think he's great. The director directed him. The producers cast him. You know what I mean? So it's, you didn't it's, write it. It's not a no, one-man show. show. I, like, I like messing with people. I like sarcasm. I like, you know, I like messing with a Kardashian. You know, oh, yeah. online. I like to say shit, you know. Uh, it's human nature. But, you know, sometimes it's just like things get a little too mean. You know, you've done it, haven't you, sir? Yeah, he's doing it now. He's you been doing it now. the whole show. You know, like Michael Rosen on this uh, Q&A is more like... It's like a therapy session. Yeah. Well, you, you definitely have issues as a child. Oh, God, yeah. I yeah, mean, I, I'm, I'm, a good, I'm a good sense of character. Like, I like you. You're a likable guy. You're sweet. You're kind. But you got lost in, in horror movies and movies in general. Oh, yeah. And like, like I did. And you just, you felt like no one really understood you. Most of your friends, your parents, they were fine. Your parents were probably fine. No. Okay. <laughs> but uh, that's where I got from. But, you know, I mean, yeah, we're all like, I think we're all, you know, growing up, we, we just, we feel like no one gets us, no matter who we are. There's, I didn't, like, I didn't go to a dance. I didn't go, I was the smallest kid in my high school, if you could believe it. I was five foot, like, two as a graduating senior. I grew like 10 inches. And I remember popular girls going, aw, Rosie. <laughs> I remember getting my first play, Grease, in high school. And I was playing Vince Fontaine. I was so nervous, I memorized lines. I still have them memorized. Hey, hey, this is the main brain, Vince Fontaine, spinning the stacks of wax with the house of wax, WAXX, cruising time, 1026, sharpshooters, pick it of the week, a brand new one, shooting up the charts like a rocket by the Veldu Rays. Going out to Ronnie and Sheila, the new kids out of mom's school store, especially the little Joe and the LaDons. Listen in while I give it a spin. I never forgot it. And I remember, I remember there was a scene, I go, oh my gosh, you're gonna have to kiss this girl. And I don't think I'd ever kissed a girl. I mean, my mom. She used to give me a movie star kiss sometimes, where we just like, <laughs> movie star kiss. And then the first kiss I gave a girl that kiss, she goes, what the hell was that? I'm like, that was the movie star kiss. She's like, you're an idiot. Thanks, mom. <laughs> much what happened. So, uh, hello, I was getting at something. Oh, else. so it's the connection of like those of us that, you know, and I think why things like this event and pop culture and those sorts of things. Oh, no, no, the, the, the Greeks, the Greeks, the Greeks, the Greeks with the, uh, so I thought I was going to kiss this girl and that girl who was really popular came up to me 
the next day after I got the part, she goes, hey, you're playing Vince, right? I go, yeah, she goes, I'm playing whatever her character was. She didn't make it. But, um, <laughs> so she goes, so I talked to the director and we're not gonna kiss. <laughs> That's been cut, okay? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, of course. What are you gonna do? You know? And I was just like, of course, me. I took it like, she didn't like me. She, I'm too small, I'm too dorky looking, I have no hair under my arms. But she didn't like you, she didn't like you and it's your fault. Not that she didn't like you and just, that's her problem. I, I think she's just like, I'm not kissing him. He's not on the football team. You know what I mean? I think it was that. She would have totally made out if I was like, Kyle Fricaro. Can we look her up he now? He was hot. Can we look her up now? And no, okay. she actually, you know what? Here's what's funny, she is beautiful and she's actually really sweet. And I bumped into her three years ago at my friend's house. She was having a little housewarming party in Indiana. And her name is Sharissa, Sharissa Moore. And she's actually really sweet. And she was always sweet, but I think she just was like, for whatever reason, maybe it was a religious reason. Yeah, but I mean, but, kids, it's kids. Yes, but I remember going up to her, and she goes, hey, oh my God, I'm so happy for your success, and whatever. And I go, thanks, and we start talking about, you know, do you know that one story? Remember when I was Vince Fontaine, and I told her the whole story, and she goes, she sort of remembered it, but she was like, oh my God, I go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you hurt me for years. <laughs> People don't even, they don't know, and that's why it's like, did you ever see a, a wedding singer? Yeah. Remember when um, Adam Sandler, I think it is, calls up, the guy that he picked up goes, hey, you know, I just yeah. want to say, you know, I'm really sorry for doing whatever I did, and uh, you know, whatever. And then it's Steve Buscemi goes, okay. And he hangs up and he crosses his name off the kill list. Oh, he's Billy Madison. He's Billy Madison. Billy Madison. And I thought, you know, you shouldn't hold grudges because it, I think people, it's a different mentality. When you're in high school, you're an idiot. Yeah. You know, you don't really, like, I was an idiot until about a month ago. And I'm still... It's June 1st. Then you so. say shit, man. And you gotta forgive. Like, I forgive my parents. I'm like, you weren't a great mom. You weren't a good dad. Yeah, I guess you tried. I mean, but whatever. It's, I love you and let's move forward. Let's move forward and don't be a dick and don't lie to me anymore. And let's just be real. Let's keep it real. I hope they don't listen to my podcast. <laughs> no, parents don't know how to get a podcast. Oh, man. My dad once though actually goes, I'm hearing about the podcast. Uh, I was gonna listen to it. Which episode should I listen to? And I go, Ooh, it just got canceled. Yeah. And then my uncle, my uncle goes, Podcast can't get canceled. I'm like, is it again? Where are you guys going? Somewhere to Dolph be Lundgren speaking. <laughs> uh, he's, by the way, going to be on the podcast. I got Dolph Lundgren. He was at MIT. He was at the house. Uh, Sean Aston's coming. Uh, hey, Ralph Macchio, I think, is coming. How many, honest to God, how many of you guys are going to subscribe? It's free on iTunes after this thing. Come on. If you like this, if you're having fun, how many? Raise your hand. Come on, guys. Come on. This We're going to check. Come on. We're going to check. Come on, guys. It's easy. It's free. Just go subscribe. Did you have time on yeah, oh my god, I love him, he's crazy yeah, as I had him on mine last month. He was yeah, he's going, yeah, 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 yeah. we talked about every day. Biggest heart ever. Biggest heart ever, I love him, I'm his son's uh, godfather. Oh, really? Jax. Uh, so... I wish I had a cordless mic, I'd run around like Phil Donahue asking you guys. Or you gotta get the pinky going, you could do the Price is Right kind of thing, yeah. But how many people like come in here and are just like... I'm gonna be like, are they, have you been to a lot of uh, panels? Are there any like this? Um... I don't know, we just worked really hard and uh, we're really excited about that. Yeah. So listen to my damn podcast! <laughs> Put some energy 
given you guys more than you deserve. They deserve it all. That's true. That's true. But so get me a cordless mic. To your point of, no, no, no. but these things that we all have in common, it's the shared experience of watching this media if we didn't necessarily have, uh, I don't want to use the word normal, but like, you know, the, the usual social things that most people have, so you can bond over the shared experience of the media. And the thing about Superman specifically is, every decade for the last 40 or 50 years has had an iteration of Superman. So you have like Lois and Clark, you had Smallville, you, know, you had a Superboy show in the 80s before that. Supergirl, that John Cryer. Yes. He was on the show, I talked to him about it. Lex, interviewing Lex. So it's so. unique in that way that it, it's literally every decade and every generation has had a Superman interpretation. So it's yeah. to be part of that sort of legacy. And I'd like to give like, you know, credit where credit's due. Between everybody who worked on the show, we were really like the first show a Superman show. Not the first, but the first one to sort of really dig in and it was shot like a movie and a lot of money put in. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like others were hokey, but it just was sort of like sweet and, and sad and like, it was just like, it was, a, it was a journey and it was like the way they did it, I felt like after Smallville came out, then came all these other ones, which are great, but like Arrow and Flash and, all these Supergirl and um, uh, Supernatural, yeah. I mean, like all these shows, like kind of came out after that, all on the same network for the most part. And so, I, 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 when people ask me, "You guys were the first," I'm like, "Yeah, and it's cool. It's cool that we were like the first of those." Um, you know, if Instagram was around, I had a couple more million followers. <laughs> well, it wasn't campy. It, it it leaned into the allegory of that stuff to get to the emotional stuff. Yeah, and it was dark too. It was dark. It wasn't like, like oh my gosh, and there's some stuff with my character that was. You know, pretty crazy. And it was the first time I, my friends respected me in my life. <laughs> they go, you're good? I'm like, is that a question mark? Are you asking me if I'm good? No, like, I just can't believe I'm watching you. <laughs> you're, a you're a moron. And like, you're playing this role with such conviction. Like, where does it come from? And I go, I don't know, Dad. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, no, no. But I, no, I, I uh, it's funny because it's, uh, Chris, I was watching the Chris Farley documentary in 80, it was on a few days ago, and I'm, I'm in it actually, they interviewed me because I was a huge fan of Chris Farley, and he said, my dad had uh, uh, two volumes, it's more like, hey, uh, I'm going to ask you to do this, to get out the yard, you know, and that was sort of my, like, my dad, he's like, he's like, I'm not going to ask you again, yeah, I'm not going to tell you again. And then, get there! You know, it's just like, I'm like, oh. You know, he was like, he's a big dude, he's like 6'5". But he had me when, I, when he was like 19. He married my mom when he was 23, with two kids, a five and a seven year old. So how is he not crazy? Yeah. And he wasn't crazy, but he had to deal with my crazy mom. He had to deal with two kids that weren't his at first, who he adopted. He had to deal with then me, who he's like, you're nothing like me. And my dad worked him out like, a uh, uh, pharmaceutical, uh, you know, he's a manager of pharmaceuticals, good in science, and I was like awful in everything, <laughs> but I could sort of act. And you're like, you're like, and I could tell it was just like, he didn't know how to relate to me, and he just didn't know, and he wasn't affectionate, he wasn't like, yeah. oh no, I love you so much. You so much. That would have been weird to be that. But, uh, no, but you know what I mean? Was there a thing that you did that he was able to see where he was like, I get it now? Or yeah, like, I did a play, I did, uh, a, a play called Prelude to a Kiss. Oh yeah, so they did a movie. In, in, right. Yeah, in college, and I was playing the the dad. 
So they aged me, and I, there's a scene where I pull my pants down, and I go, I got the shape of a saxophone tattooed on my ass. And I, I don't know, I mean, it was one of those roles where the whole audience, like, it felt like everything I said, they just were hysterical. They were just laughing and laughing, and the ovation I got, and I think that's when it dawned on him that, well, he doesn't suck. And we went out to Denny's at like 11 o'clock at night after the, um, after the play, and he goes, I go, I, I want to be an actor. And he's like, eat your steak. <laughs> no, but he's like, you know, he's like, yeah, it, was, it, was, it was good. It was good. No, it's enjoyable. It's enjoyable. Which was fine. That's a huge thing for yeah. some people, though. You know, when I directed my movie, which was a raunchy, lowbrow comedy, but really funny, I thought back in the day, made it for pennies, he texted me. We saw your movie. <laughs> That's it. I waited. I thought maybe I'd see two. <laughs> I thought I'd see three dots of him. You know, like, here comes more. Yep. You were funny. You were nothing. So the next day, I put, thanks. And that was our conversation. Yeah. I was like, I worked a year and a half for nothing. With all my friends in Indiana, where we have no film crews. With, for, I mean... For him, he went out of his way and saw it. That that's was the most he could do. And I was like, I, you know, I went, when I went to therapy, I asked my therapist, like, well, that's what he could give you. Yeah. He saw your movie. Go, well, that's not good enough. Yeah. I'm like, well, what are you going to do? You can't tell someone to like you. No. Will you please like my movie? Yeah. Please. I know you hate it, but you just say I do. Make you feel so. It'd be great if that's how they promote it on movies. Just the, it's no trailer. The director's like, please like this movie. By the way, how many of you, you probably disagree with me, but how many of you like Rotten Tomatoes? I hate it. I hate it, yeah. I always comment on my posts because it's bull crap. You see a movie and it's 95%. Then you go see it and you go, I want my money back. This is not 90. Here's my, how I equate things. If, yeah, if you're 90% or higher, this is a movie they're saying you would see multiple times. If you're telling me this movie's that amazing, I go in there thinking, I'm gonna see this again and again, it's gonna be so good. Like, Back to the Future. Yeah. I'll see that forever. Jaws, Shining, uh, Forrest Gump. Those are A's. If it's in the B category, it was really good, it was worth it. I went to the theater, had a good time. I don't know if I'd see it again, but the B area. But these movies, man, you see the audience scores a lot of times too. You see 94 and then you see audience 62. You're like, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And Scorsese hates it too. And I'm like, what happened in the old days where you see a trailer on TV and you're like, that looks like fun. Let's just take a chance. I don't know what it's about. Let's just take a chance. Let's go see that stupid movie and sit down and have a laugh. Oh, but it got 12%. Everybody just hated it. I'm not gonna even consider it because maybe there's a couple of jokes that are actually your cup of tea in there. I don't know, I just, it, it really rubs me the wrong way, so. I, I well, you're applying sports statistics to a, a subjective art. It, that, that doesn't work. <laughs> like, you can't do that. Like, it just it's exactly work. right. And stuff that would get a high score, not that stuff in the middle of the road is necessarily bad, but to appeal to the most amount of people, stuff has to be just okay. Yeah. Because for people to really love something, someone no else is going to see it. it. 72, I don't know. Yeah. No, 64, mm, this one got 95, honey, let's go see that.
that's worth twelve dollars for ninety-five. But you know, but ninety-five is not. It's it's everybody's interpretation, and like, who's getting paid to write these articles? It's like, oh my god, let's get a whole bunch of people. If they want to be on our list, you guys better write some good articles here. You know what I'm saying? Hey, if you want to work with Sony. Make sure they're good or you're not going to get them screens. I don't know. I'm sure there's people that write actually real hot, you know. But like, when they reviewed our movie, it was hilarious because my producer goes, we well, should get the movie reviewed. No, he shouldn't. There's, <laughs> there's poop jokes and wiener jokes and like, I don't think it's a good idea. She goes, well, I go, also, it's right after the Oscars or, or during the Oscars. So he released it with movies that were like the Black Swan. And, they're, and then they're watching some kid defecate on a carpet. I mean, that didn't happen in the movie, but... You That's know what I'm saying? Like, what are you doing? Why are you reviewing this movie? We shouldn't be reviewed after The Black Swan. But it's... If you look back, like, I love watching the old Siskel and Eberts. They're all on YouTube. Oh, yeah. And, like, they'll review Halloween, and then they'll review, like, uh, you know, Harold and Maude. Like, yeah, yeah. And, they, and they, they're insightful, and they treat everything the same way. I like that. We need more things like that. I was thinking about doing, like, a movie review show. But here's the problem. I think I'll probably never act again if that happens. <laughs> yeah. Because I'll be like, oh, my God. I don't know what the fuss is. This movie was a piece of crap. Some guy at, like, Marvel's going, oh. Never hire him again. It's the opposite of that Steve Buscemi Billy Madison. You can't do it. You can't. Yeah. You can't. Yeah, they put me on the list. They circle it. They kill him. You know what I mean? It's probably maybe two questions. Yeah, sir. Let's do it. I'll go, I'll go fast. Watch. Keep your hands up. Go ahead. Speed round. Being a horror film fan, how awesome was it to be a part of, like, urban legends with Robert England and Daniel Harris? Legendary, man. I worked with, I mean, Brad Dorff. Amazing. Every day was like, it was the best time of my life. I was like a newcomer. I should, everybody was kind of a star in that movie and they had credits and I didn't. And the director, the producer was like, he's not a big enough star. And he's like, I don't care, mate. He like killed it in the audition and I'm giving it to him. He's like, that's real, mate. He not even like, and I was like, oh, and I love him. Jamie Blanks and we're going to work together again. And uh, so great question. Uh, yes, yeah, you in the hat. That you're the only one that like might notice the gum. Thank you. You know what? First of all, we were just a band that was playing in my basement. We're like, hey, it would be this. We were, at first, kids, close your ears like this. Kids, put your hands in your ears. We were called Shit Sandwich. <laughs> and then we're like, we can't be this title. We can't be. It's just us playing the. We could be that in my basement. And then we became the Sandwich. And I'm like, this is not <laughs> our, our music is better than this. And we started to go, wow, our music's pretty good. The guy's like, you've got to change your name. So when people get to my house, they have to make a left on Laurel. So everybody always rehearsed in my house. So it's like, make a left on Laurel. And that kind of like spawned, like it was like, that was cool, left on Laurel. That's who we are. It all happened in my house in Laurel Canyon, left on Laurel as a band. So it's kind of like the Eagles meets like the Wallflowers and Jason Mraz all in one, I think. <laughs> Next question, yes, and? Yeah. I love Zach Levi, <laughs> but he's not a superhero. So. Look, I love, uh, you know, Tom Walling loves Batman. If you asked him, he'd say Batman. Um, Do you identify with the Flash? Because, like, I feel like the Flash... No, he runs every day. I barely even know. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I don't identify with him. He's really quick. But, like, personality-wise... Personality-wise, yeah, I can talk like him, but use somebody else's body to run like him. Uh, but I love The Flash. I mean, you know, uh, I love Superman. I, I do. If I have to pick, because it's just a heart of gold. I think of Christopher Reeve. I think of the good he tried to do, saving humanity. And 
that's what I think of Batman. It had such a dark way to him, and he was cooler. Yeah, maybe as an actor, it's cooler. But Superman, as a you know, as a, as a he's a hero. Yeah, yes, ma'am. Really? My question well, what I learned was, no matter what, look, I, I love the fact that he had such integrity and he really wanted to be a good person. He wanted to do good. He wanted to do good things. I don't actually, if you quote him, he says, "I don't want to do good things. I want to do great things." And I really believe he did. And I think something happened along the way. And I like to think that no matter what, I wouldn't let, allow that to happen. You know, no matter how much adversity you face or whatever, that no matter how bad things get, that there's going to be a light. There's going to be someone that's going to save you. That there is a Superman out there, or a Superwoman, or whatever it is that gives you a profound joy of life and makes you more appreciative towards things. And so even though he became that, I think he tried, and I think, you know, I, I respect that. I really like that about him. So he's always trying to be the good guy. He's always trying to love until he ran out of love. So I hope I never run out of love, I guess. <laughs> Is that it? One more? Well, Superman. That's very out of time. Yeah. I'm in Superman. Can you run around the room backwards so we have yes. another minute so you can ask the question? <laughs> That I did. Is there a prom tonight or anything going on tonight? I'll crash it. Hey, listen, I want to say thank you for all uh, attending Denver. And I know Tom couldn't come and it was a bummer. And I love him. And I almost canceled, but I was like, you know, I want to be here for you guys. And it's fun to see you. And thanks for coming. Tomorrow, thank you. Tomorrow. If you like this, check out some of our other shows like Exotic Liability, No Applause, Just the Clap, and Black Falls. We can be found at www.bacnpodcast.com and by searching for The BACN on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. Oh, yeah.